Hey folks, how to grow a whole family. This is part three. I want to do this one on truth today. So this whole series is just kind of a collection of random things that I've sort of learned the hard way that I uh, did not know going into life. And I want to share it with whoever wants to listen. So uh, parts two, three, and four, they're kind of all going to go together in one sort of continuous flow. They build on top of each other. Part two is about power, which I highly recommend listening to first because this is going to build on that. This is going to be truth, and then we're headed to motives. I think we'll understand our dysfunctional communication better when we understand what it's built on. And to understand that, I think we need to understand motives. And to do that, we've got to understand truth. And to do that, we've got to understand power. So that's kind of why... I'm doing this in this order. That's where we're headed. Truth. What a topic. Oh my goodness. Truth. What is that? Because everybody has an opinion on truth and what they think is true. And sometimes there is no convincing them otherwise. Have you met people? And they can believe the most ludicrous things. Can you believe what some educated people who have access to knowledge in the internet, can you believe what they actually believe? Like some of the crazy things they espouse to be true? I wanted to give you some examples here, but I knew I would offend somebody somewhere who was like, wait, that is true, thereby proving my point. And you just shut me off, which actually goes along with what I'm going to say today. But, but I think we can all agree that there are a lot of us who are members of the human race who have some wacko crazy beliefs floating out there that I will not name that would cause us to go like, how did you come up with that? How do you not know that's demonstrably false? Like just think for a second with your brain. The research says that we are lied to anywhere from 10 to 200 times per day. And within the first 10 minutes of two strangers meeting, they will exchange an average of three lies in 10 minutes. So instead of asking about what is true, I want to discuss that age-old question, what is truth? And I want to do it in two parts. First, I just want to go to the question, what is truth? And then I want to go to like how truth forms and develops in humans, because it does. And then I want to uh, sort of apply that to our day-to-day interactions. So, part one, what is truth? I taught science for nine years. Now, science is just the discovery of what is true. Like, real science does not seek to explain why questions. It only seeks to describe what is happening and help us predict what will happen. That's what science is. So science gets a bad rap, sometimes because of the dichotomy we create between science and faith, and people mistakenly think they have to choose faith over science, and then other people will get turned off by scientific studies that are influenced by money, and so on and so forth. But True science is just the discovery of what is true. We teach the scientific method. It goes something like this. One, ask a testable question that you can actually test and find the answer to. Not like, where did we come from, or why is this here, or anything like that. Ask a testable question. Two, do a test on it. Three, share your results in the form of hard data. Okay, so like in fourth grade, one of our first experiments was asking the question, does the mass of an object influence how fast it will fall to the ground? So will a heavier object fall faster or at the same rate or will a lighter object fall faster? What do you think? So here's how we test it. We would actually drop two or three objects to find out what does reality do when we just let reality be reality outside the influence of our interference. This is science. Science is a search for truth, the real truth. What actually happens and what does reality do on its own without my manipulation of it? So for this experiment, I get out like a tennis ball and a baseball and I make the kids predict. Like, I know you already have a guess, kids. I know you already think you know what's going to happen. And I'd ask my kids this really honest and always funny question. I would say, how do we make sure that we don't cheat? Because let's be honest, you already want one of these to win. Like, you got your odds on the baseball or you got your odds on the tennis ball. And if you really want the baseball to win... 
How are we going to make sure that you play fair and stay honest and don't try to manipulate the results? And I love my kids because they're always down with it. Like fourth graders get it. They don't they don't pull out the jargon of like, oh, me, I'd never cheat. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, what do we got to do? We got to make sure, so to ask them questions, what do we do to make sure it's fair? And they'd be like, well, we got to make sure that we drop them at the same time. And then like, we don't, we don't want to like, kind of let go of one of them a little early because we're secretly wanting it to win. We got to make sure that we drop them from the same height. We can't like kind of halfway lower one of them a little bit to to make it win. We got to make sure that they're about the same size so that we can be sure that it's the mass that's causing this and not just that like catching air on the way down. These in the science world are called variables. They are controls that we're going to make sure that we take care of to isolate the actual truth as best we can and to keep it from influencing it away from reality towards something that we just wanted to implement as reality to be true. See, truth is that which is agenda-free. It is agenda-free by its nature. You are removing all agenda from it in order to find out what is true. It's kind of like you're going on a date with Mother Nature to figure out what she's like. Like, what kind of things happen when I do this? And then we sit back and we tell Mother Nature or the universe or the divine or whatever you want to say. We, we sit back and we tell it to speak. And then we try our best to make sure that that was actually her voice that we heard, and not just our own bias being inserted in there. So you might say, science is merely describing the characteristics of the universe when we just let it do its thing without trying to take for our own profit motive out of it. When we just let reality be reality without making a profit on it. I listened to a debate a couple of days ago, and this was a, really started out as a great debate. These participants were very educated. There were four of just the, some of the best scholars in their fields in the world. And they, even they, were often projecting their own hurt in a way that even I could detect into the debate. And so, like, it's why I'm listening to these four people on stage, and they're taking sides about politics and race and political correctness, which is the subject of the debate. And so there's a black man there, and he continues to sort of argue and then circle his argument back around to, like, the story of slavery and black oppression. And there was a lot of emotion in there. And then the, there was a gay man there, and he continued to reference the story of gay oppression the very real story. These are very real stories, by the way. I'm not taken away from that. Uh, but the gay man continues to circle around to the story of gay oppression and what it's like to be different in the world. And he's using his data to sort of back that up. And then there's a woman there who continues to talk about male oppression and gender inequity in the workforce and how hard it is to be a woman. Also very real. But she keeps like taking her facts and then circling back around to that. And then there's this token white conservative male who goes all defensive and then lambasts people for hating on the white male and saying, what do you want me to do? I'm white male. I can't help it. And so they frame it in very educated words. And it can often sound like they're only speaking out of facts, but you sense and you smell that their knowledge is sort of corrupted by their own agenda. And so as someone wanting to learn I, I'm sitting off to the side and wanting to filter out some sort of truth because I don't really have a, a lot of skin in that debate. Obviously, there are people in there that I would, I would more closely identify with. But if you really want to sit back and filter out truth from some otherwise very intelligent and educated people, I naturally, like you probably would, do my best to filter out what is someone's bias injecting itself into their reason. Like, how much of what you're saying is just about trying to get your group more power or to keep power? And it's really, you know, the amazing thing was, is like, once in that debate, I could sort of filter through their own therapy needs. You could sort of hear them saying the same things just from different perspectives. 
And those perspectives underneath were all beautiful. And I was thinking, man, if we could remove like the victim status from all four of them, or at least just like take that out of the logic debate part of this, then we would really have something here. Like if they weren't all pressing for an agenda to be met in some political fashion in that debate, and they could just talk like sort of from a self-differentiated standpoint, boy, it would have been a beautiful debate, and it could have exposed a lot greater truth that could help us all move forward. But they got sidetracked and angry and nasty, and I learned some things, but it was only through sort of filtering out their agendas that I think I made some progress toward truth by listening to them. So the way that we listen is based on attachment and trust that someone isn't out for their own agenda. So truth kind of happens in that safe space that we go in together with another person and we we really feel safe like nobody's going to take advantage of us or nobody is manipulating the situation. So let me give you an example. Like if I had just met you and in the course of conversation about our families, I told you I had an aunt named Susie, like you would probably completely accept it with almost no evidence that it's true because like why would I lie about having an aunt named Susie? But if I sent you an email that said I had an aunt named Susie who passed away in Nigeria and left several million locked in a bank account and needed your help unlocking it, you'd be like, delete. Why? Because you know where I'm going with that. You smell agenda and you can clearly see it and therefore you go ahead and destroy my credibility with that or I destroyed my credibility with that. You just ignore it. So sometimes like A politician quotes a statistic in a debate that we're not sure about. We don't know about the statistic that they quoted. And it's on a topic that matters and has real-world implications. So, like, what does clear-thinking, truth-seeking individuals, what do they do with that statistic? We would research it. We would go to a place that has experience and knowledge minus any visible agenda to needing to sway the answer. Like, you're not going to go to their party's website, you're going to go to a non-profit or some place where you're like, oh, this place isn't profiting from the real answer to this question. So let's be honest, like, are you, are you more likely to believe a statistic from a politician you already back or the one that you despise? See, some of us started researching stats at websites even that claim to be independent and then ended up needing backing from others and became selective. See, like, we can all be biased. I can, you can, so-called nonprofits can. And we get into this group mentality of wanting to join one team or the other for our agenda. And there's power in numbers, but, but here's the thing. Here's a principle that we need to all live by. Just because Adolf Hitler says that the sky is blue doesn't mean that the sky isn't blue, right? And just because the U.S. president tweeted it doesn't mean it's automatically untrue. All those statistics on that one. Um, never mind. So, so we naturally seek to join one side or another to gain power and put their jersey on. We want to root them on and yell things at our opponents. Then we can become really shallow, old, self-serving, tribal mentality that we can have and cause the world to actually spiral into less and less truth and keep the world from being a better place. Or we can stand on our own two feet and filter out our agenda and quit bandwagoning and just let truth fall where it may. We can stop trying to make the baseball win and destroy truth in it. So if I'm listening to people from a debate from a third party, I seek the truth. I want you to think about this. We seek the truth in what they are saying, not from some idealistic weighing of unbiased objective figures, because there's not really any completely unbiased ones out there, But we are usually most successful when we seek the truth by weighing their propensity for selfish gain. Like, are you holding cards under the table here? What are you trying to get out of this deal? Are you really just like hiding daddy issues and projecting your vomit onto the rest of us? Or do you really have a perspective of reality that I haven't seen yet that can help us get to the truth? Because if we do, if you, if you do, we want it. Like, we need your perspective. What, what do you see? 
But if we smell that this is just like another sales pitch to get you something or an, another opportunity to spew vitriol on your enemies and to get us to join your team, I, I speak for most civilized people when I say I'm out. Like we, we naturally weigh the truth of someone's words by how little those words were soiled with the pursuit of that person's own empire. So let's bring it to a practical level. Um, remember when the internet was born? Uh, we were so excited about all this free information. We were like, oh yeah, you don't have to look it up in the World Book Encyclopedia anymore. This is awesome. And, and when somebody was wrong, somebody else could actually prove it and like name it and call it out and introduce facts like data. And then we could get more and more towards the truth together. And so we made all these huge advances. And then people were like, oh, like the website creators and the, the content creators were like, oh, this takes a lot of time and money to keep this information up and keep my website going and all of this that I'm doing for this. And others were like, oh, we can make a profit off of having several million people see this website. And so we began the world of advertising and exchanging information for money. We essentially quit giving information away for free, partly because we couldn't afford to anymore. And now, we either pay directly for information or we get it from nonprofits uh, who also need donors and can get a donor base that they have to satisfy, which can get to be really sticky. Or like, consider Amazon, sort of like when the internet first came out. Remember when they first came out with product reviews on Amazon and we were like, oh, this is cool. I can read unbiased truth about these products from third parties before I buy the product. What was happening? People like you and me who weren't trying to make any of these companies a buck, they were just donating their time out of a desire for a more honest world or to be heard or to make sure that the facts were right about a product. They were donating their time and money and energy. They were purchasing truth. But now, man, have you tried to find an honest review? Like you have no clue who is being paid to do their reviews. No clue how many people the, the company may have slid cash to or whether or not they bribed their customers with a little note that says, hey, you get a free product for a review. Or like who is just a, a bad reviewer because they're vomiting their anger onto the masses because their toaster wasn't the right shade of satin nickel. And like the rest of you, if you're like me, you're like, um, do I really have the time and energy and do I care enough to sit down and like waste my time writing a product review on a package of rubber bands? No, nobody wants to do that. And then you realize Amazon made so much money outsourcing truth that other people paid for with their time and energy. Because the principle here is this, truth costs something. It costs someone something. Truth is expensive. You have to pay for it because it is a free gift because it doesn't have your profit motive or agenda attached to it. Amazon suckered us into working for free. Or maybe you love Amazon and you want them to grow and I vote you should be able to claim your work as a charitable donation, right? So what does this mean for news channels? Like, could it be possible that news channels could profit on twisting truth to the shade that is most attractive to their constituents to get more ratings? Never. See, you can't seek pure truth and profit at the same time. And this has always been true, and now we're just being able to see it in very clear ways. One ancient religious guy actually said, you can't pursue both God and money. See, the best places to find the purest truth online are those whose funding is independent of the information coming out of it. Listen to this again. The places of purest truth are those whose value is independent of what it produces the people with the purest truth are those of us whose worth and value 
is independent of what we produce or say. Those of us whose value is completely separate from our output. What's your value attached to? Is it attached to your output? To what you can do for others? If so, is truth in danger with you? If truth is going to be agenda-free, actual truth, it has to be a gift that you can afford. Because otherwise, when you insert your own profit motive, it becomes your bias, which scientifically is the opposite of truth. And I wonder if that's why we're having so much trouble with the truth today. Because at every turn, anybody in charge of reporting truth or giving information for truth is that is true is now driven away and drawn away by their own agenda to profit from the reporting. So you might say truth is expensive. It, it can only be paid for in the margins when people have more than enough. And I believe that humans, and I've witnessed this over and over, that when humans have some margin, they will gladly speak truth. But when they're in a moment of scarcity, it's when we get in trouble. Truth is only going to happen when we are free from the need of a return on our investment. So, The stark reality of our culture and world is this, that if we create a world that is optimized for efficiency and not wanting to lose a buck anywhere, if we have a world that is squeezing margins out, then we have also created a world that will in due time kill truth. So let's talk about us personally. If you live life constantly in the red, constantly in need with no margin whatsoever, is your life going to have the space and the resources to breed truth? You can't pursue truth in your empire at the same time. Just like the tennis ball experiment, you got to abandon your pursuit of being correct or making something out of it. I would say that your pursuit of your empire and your pursuit of truth are mutually exclusive, even diametrically opposed ideas. To, to pursue one means that you've abandoned your pursuit of the other and you're willing to walk wherever truth leads you. And we call that sacrifice. And it's why I believe that sacrifice is absolutely necessary for a world to grow truth. So let's talk every day. We have a a chance to lose a bit of ourselves to pursue truth. Like, so you have a disagreement with somebody. Like, who's the greatest of all times in basketball? Is it MJ or LeBron? Who's the right candidate? Like, when, when you decide on something, when you come up with your hypothesis on this, are you going to hole up and pile on all the reasons why you're right and manipulate the outcome and defend your castle? Or are you willing to step outside of yourself and do what we call self-differentiation, to look at yourself objectively and without bias and to, as if to give up the right to defend your castle? And, and then consider with as much objectivity as possible whether that person might have a point that's as valid as yours and then take that risk of losing something? Like, we like to think that we just happen to be right, and whew, I didn't have to cede any territory on that one, because I, I just happen to be right, like, you know, all the time. But, but this is about a pursuit, and in the case that you're not always right, a pursuit of truth means that you will eventually bump up against ways that you're wrong, and that you have to be open to change, and therefore you will ultimately have times when you suffer great loss that you will have to pay for or it will have to be paid for somehow. So the more we search for truth, the more it's actually going to cost us and the more we're going to have to pay for it. So there's an there's like a paradox here. So You could tell the story of humans like an ancient narrative that said this. It was like we were living naked and in the wild like animals. And then we humans 
had this desire to want to know more. We were seeking more knowledge and it was tantalizing like a sweet fruit. And humans, we thought we wanted it, but we didn't realize by eating it, it would taste really good, but eventually cost us almost everything. Because if you want to know the truth, get ready to lose some of yourself. Truth is for people who have something to lose. But if you trust and live transparently, I think you have so much more to actually gain. Okay, so let's go to part two. Let's talk about our psyche and how truth forms whenever we're young and how we actually pay for it. So last episode, I talked a whole lot about forms of power. There's all sorts of ways that you can pay for things. You can pay for things with your money, with your time, with your energy. You can pay for things with letting your order get uh, go into disarray. You can pay for things uh, with your emotions. You can pay for things with your stress. And when we're not actually wanting to do that or give away power, sometimes we can use counterfeit money. We can pretend like we're saying something true. And we can write somebody a bogus check. And and so what we got to understand here we can lie. And so what we got to understand here is is what researcher Pamela Meyer says that this is one from one of the most famous TED Talks ever. She, she did this talk, How to Spot a Liar, which is great stuff, by the way. She said that lying is an act of cooperation. It's just like fighting. It, it's an act of cooperation. It takes two to dance. So that like a lie has no power by itself. Until someone agrees to believe it. Like it's going to take one person to do the lie, but the other person to accept the lie. It's a transaction not unlike a financial transaction. She, she quotes a guy named Henry Oberlander, who was relatively unknown, but one of the most powerful fraudsters in all of history. And he said, everyone is willing to give you something in exchange for what they're hungry for. And she goes on to talk about... If you are being lied to, you have to ask yourself, what have I done to enable it? If you're married to a liar, guess what? Whatever they're feeding you was something you were hungry for. So like, what is it that you are hungry for that you allow them to destroy truth for just for the transaction? Like you accepted what you wanted to hear in exchange for giving them your loyalty. I'll be honest, um, one day I was searching for some advice about a major life decision and, and, and deep down inside I already knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted people to tell me. But I don't know if I was really even that self-aware. But I, I know, deep down inside I knew. And I went ahead and asked the advice of several of my closest friends and all but one of them told me what I wanted to hear. And I, and I even like, I put language on it like, oh, this is my confirmation. This is like the Lord is telling me. And and then that one, the one that didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, I was like, yeah, well, he's the least close of all my friends. He doesn't really know me as well as the other guys do anyways. He can't really help me. And that's when it hit me. Wait a minute. <laughs> What if I have valued all of these friendships so much in the first place all along because they were people who usually told me what I wanted to hear? What if I was really only friends with them in the first place because they always told me what that I, that I was good at something that I desperately needed to hear I was good at? Or if they always made me feel a certain way that I just really liked to feel like, what if my friendship and those warm feelings toward them were actually just an attempt to meet some need for an insufficiency that I've been dealing with under the surface my whole life? And, and so like on one hand, that's awesome because that's what we're here for, to meet each other's needs. But on the other, if you aren't aware, you will put yourself in a bubble with only information that you like. If you aren't self-aware, you will surround yourself with people who tell you what you want 
to hear. And on the day-to-day, it might look like, oh, I really like that lady, or oh, isn't he funny? And really what our flesh, our subconscious human self is saying is, oh, this lady gives me the kind of power that I'm looking for. This guy says things like he understands what I'm going through. I like the connection there. If we aren't careful in a world of hyper-connectivity, you know what we can do? We can filter through humans and throw away all relationships in between that aren't serving our own empire. So let me ask you this. Do you know what you're hungry for? Do you know what you would trade truth for? Like, who are you drawn to really like? People that can give you their time? People who give you attention? People who give you compliments? Powerful people? News stations that tell you the political position that you already agree with? Comedians who can tear your enemies down? Are you willing to make friendships where you give as much or more than you take because people are worth it. This is how good relationships work. You pour your life and sacrifice into it by seeking truth at all costs. And when you run up against things you don't like, seek the truth anyway. And you're going to run up against all kinds of ways that you're actually wrong. And you're going to have to lose in order to make peace with someone who isn't there just to feed your ego. Who isn't there just to feed what you want to hear. Truth. This is a lifestyle based on what we most deeply believe about ourselves. Now, this brings me to this. I want to take us back to our childhood and how it all started. So let's start whenever you and I were babies. When we were first born, we had no power whatsoever. No money, no possessions, no networks that we were aware of, no ability to communicate, no education, no order in our lives, only trust. And on trust, we built a life. And and the very first forms of power that we got were those like most essential. We got some food and we got connection. And as we grew that connection built. We, we gained more and more and it built on top of itself. You got googly eyes and winky dinks from mom and dad and you got some like, oh, how precious is from your grandparents and they listened to you and they fed you when you were hungry. They were pouring connection to you like for the entire first year that your brain formed the basics of how it operates today. So that by age one, you had a basic personality or attachment style that had been formed. We call this attachment. And a secure attached, a securely attached child, Dr. Karen Purvis says this, it came from here. You had your parents say yes to you a thousand times before they ever said no. Just thousands of times. Yes, 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 you can have food. You can have a little comfort. You can have me pick you up. Yes, you can have what you want. We told our babies, yes, yes, yes. We didn't take things personally. Whenever they're newborns, we didn't get all reactive. We didn't argue with our babies. We just gave them what they needed. And then we were non-defensive about what we could not give them. And so through that attachment that was formed, everything that we learn is based on that. And so, like, there's an entire field of science out there that you should look into. So, like, a baby gets sensory input, and then they react to it, and then here's where the magic happens. They watch the reaction to their own reaction to see what takes place, to see whether their reaction was right or not. And this is how learning takes place. So, mama makes a googly face, baby copies it, mom is impressed and does a wow face and she kisses the baby on the nose in ecstatic excitement and the baby learns like oh this must have been true i must matter the baby's taking it all in so we wave a ball in front of little junior's face and eventually we're saying ball 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 and eventually one day he says ball and he copies you and says ball and you're like yeah all right and then he learns oh something good happened i must be right it's a ball 
He learns from the input that happens after his output from your listening. So like you and I, when we were babies, we learned from everybody's positive input when they listened to us and they heard us and they real, and then we realized that we were heard. It built something up within us that says, you matter, you're a human. It was this power tank within us that is the most special and is the first and most original power tank that we have. Now, excuse me again, this is how good teachers do it in the elementary schools. We don't tell them the information because they don't remember it, they don't care. We ask them a question and then we give them the resources to figure it out. So like our experiment that I've talked about, we, we give them the resources, we actually let them do it, and then they give us an answer and we confirm it with a celebration or with joy or agreement or we challenge it with another question if they're not there yet. So think about this. Your mom and dad paid for everything whenever you were a baby. And so like for over a year, toddler has been racking up quite a bill on mom and dad, right? And then hospitals, diapers, sleepless nights, okay? And mom and dad have been going yes, 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 and pouring out love, 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 and googly faces and all of this for a year. And then baby gets old enough one day and then starts to annoy his parents when they're tired on a Tuesday night by dropping his sippy cup over and over again. And then baby gets a negative reaction. Mom and dad decide, I'm not paying for this. Now, good mom and dad, whenever they're in a good mood and they've got plenty of energy, they're going to make a good choice and let reality teach. They're, oh, sweetie, I'm not going to empower that. I'm not going to keep picking up that sippy cup. And then they'll just go on with life. And, and you know, that toddler, they've got that connection with you. And, man, they know how to work it. Like the heartstrings, they've got your emotional connection. They've, they've connected to your power bank. And they're going to do everything they can to sort of drain from it. And it can be a hard place to draw a line and to let them cry it out and learn that when they drop their sippy cup that on purpose they're not going to get it back and so there's this little power struggle here going on over this toddler wants entertainment they're not paying for it who's going to pay for the loss here And so like mom and dad, if they have weak boundaries and they're used to letting people suck away their emotional energy or self-worth, they're going to do anything to keep toddler happy and to keep toddler away from their heartstrings, including pick the cup back up, give back, give in to it and pick it up 10 times in a row. And then they're going to get low on energy reserves. And this happens to all of us and then decide to make the baby pay another way rather than with his energy to pay in reality for the thing that got dropped by you know not getting whatever he wanted right then they get angry and they up the ante to an emotional level So they avoided making the baby pay with one type of energy but when they take their anger and then they spew back comments, results, and by the way, words are more powerful than actions and nonverbals are even more powerful than words. And when you deflect all of that back, because that's what anger does, it deflects energy on an emotional level, which is actually way more expensive because, you know, remember, this is our most precious thing that we have is our emotional connectional power. And so when we spew that back, Anger asks them to get emotional too and to pay for it out of their own emotional tank. It's sort of like it bounces the cost back to the toddler with interest and bank fees, right? So let's say dad loses it and gets irate and yells at you and you're just a toddler. And now he's like demanding payment from you. It's obvious there's a loss that's taken place here that's got to be recouped. So like... Mom and dad have been paying you for for you for a year now, and now it's time for you to pay for your own stuff. Because truth is, we're pretty expensive, right? Nobody can afford to pay for us forever. Now, what does toddler do? So like one-year-old, two-year-old, they're pretty smart. <clears throat> now, um, they start bringing it to this emotional level. Parents start accusing. It's when 
they demand payment at a soul level, using anger, taking shots, demanding for some sort of emotional loss here. I call it an accusation. They're almost going for our soul. It's like whenever we accuse somebody and we start to get personal with it and we start to take heavy shots. It, it's like, you know, that fire within us, that precious resource that we have to guard. It's like whenever we take shots at people, we're asking for them to pay out of that. Uh, and, and, and you know that, it's kind of like in the movie Black Panther, the vibranium, you know, it's like the most precious thing that we have. Or in the Avatar, the unobtainium, like whatever you do, don't trade that. But whenever we accuse somebody and we get at somebody's character or we cut them to their core, we're asking for them to pay with that. So whenever you call somebody a bad person, Whenever you characterize or sum up a lot of interactions with like one giant label that you just want to stick on somebody, when you get emotional and you lose it, you, you've like converted to a different form of payment because you're so hurt in your own and you're so drained in your own. And you're going to impose that cost on somebody else, impose your own loss on them. Now, a kid knows what, what happens and here's here's where this comes back to truth. A kid will do one of two things. One... Smart kid might externalize the reaction, like blame. This is what we call it. Like they're going to do the same thing that you're doing, which is just try to bounce it off, bounce the loss off, and somebody else can pay for this. They can say things like, oh, this cup, this happened because the cup was too heavy, or the wind blew it off, or it was sister's fault, it was anything but my fault. So it's just sort of like anger in that it's just going to deflect it on on its way and so now like if you have a smart baby who has learned or smart toddler who's learned to work the system you can get this at a very early age nobody wants to take the blame like even the toddler that little bitty runt has an appetite for more power than i talked about in the last episode that we are so so like driven and tempted it is so difficult to lose power Tempted to not pay for the thing that went wrong just makes us human. And as much as you may be idealistic about it and badmouth it, it's just how we are. Like, it's as difficult to lose power as it is to lose weight, all right? So our biology is just going to fight back against you on that with any reason it can to not lose power. So as a toddler, you may have, like, deferred whenever mom and dad got mad at you. And you do that so often by lying. You confabulate an excuse to avoid paying for a loss or an, somebody's anger or when something went wrong, you come up with an excuse to avoid taking it down to like your level and owning it fully all the way to your core. And you're just a toddler. And, and if mom and dad accept it, then you can like learn ways to become a really nonchalant liar who just makes up stuff and it's not a big deal. I'm not paying for that. And you can actually not let that get to your core too much. Or we can internalize our response and we can pay for it. So like maybe your mom and dad were really intimidating and, and you sensed that you couldn't fool them or get away with it. Or maybe you had like so much trust and attachment in mom and dad, like firstborns, this is you, that you like developed a pattern of paying for mom or dad or whoever's accusations. And when they accused you and they cut you to the core or they said it's your fault, you owned it. Like, it's never mom and dad's fault when you're a kid, by the way. You would be amazed at the difficulty of convincing even an older child, like in fourth grade, that their parents' divorce was not their fault because nothing's mom and dad's fault when you're young. But somebody's got to pay for this thing that went wrong that I can sense on mommy and daddy's face and in their vocal tones that they've lost power. They've lost their calm. Calm is power, by the way, and babies intuitively know this. And so, like, externalizing it, yeah, that's pretty easy for us to see. That's that classic temptation to lie past the buck. But the other one, the baby that internalizes it, this can be so dangerous because they pay themselves. Now, back to all of the forms of power that I mentioned. Possessions, money, 
reputation, networks, knowledge, education, physical ability. How much of that do you have as a toddler? How's the toddler going to pay for anything? See me, like, if I walk into a store and I knock off a jar, if I create a loss, if I, like, knock off a jar and break it, am I going to, like, agonize over it and beat myself up? No, I'm going to walk over and pay for it. And if I don't have money, I've got a network. And I've got, I mean, I've got, like, so many different ways to pay for it. I'm not feel a little residual guilt, but like, I am over it. I'm going to help them sweep it up and I'm moving on with life. But when a toddler causes a loss or breaks the jar, they can't pay for the jar any other way except for one. And it's the form of power that I told you last that is held most deeply within us. The only thing that they have accrued in their two years of life, you know, all those smiles, the good jobs, the happy responses, the love, the care, the connection that they've been getting for the last couple of years, the only way they can pay for what's broken without blaming others is when they take it from that account and they give up that hope and the joy and the life that they've been filled up with when they were getting all of that positive attention and believing that they mattered and they pay for it out of their own self-worth, out of their own soul. And, you know, if they have a lot stored up in there, like because they attached really well, no, they're not going to go bankrupt because mom and dad occasionally lost it on a Tuesday night. But if mom and dad or relatives are habitually and chronically using accusations to demand their child's repentance or using accusations to lash out to them, whether it's in visible anger or just some subliminal anger or some sort of like underhanded comments... But they, when they take that loss to an emotional level, parents, if you're doing this, you are literally using your child for your own therapy and making them pay for it out of their self-worth. They start to like almost cannibalize themselves like, I'm a bad person. I'm, I'm horrible. I'm a liar. I'm worthless. They start to like take shots and start to withdraw from that one account that we should never, ever demand payment from. Now, here's the deal. Eventually, if they learn patterns of taking withdrawals out of this account too regularly for like everyday expenses, their soul itself will become near empty. And so like once you get in danger of running out, you'll become a liar too. But if you're an internalizer, yours is probably a lot darker of a reality because you confabulate an excuse because it's the only way you know to survive. You can't handle another accusation. Like you can't stand to hear one more comment that it's your fault. So you, you become a liar too. And so we're all liars. Some people pass the buck to avoid it. And then some people like pass the buck because they haven't avoided, they, they've owned it their whole life and then they just can't own it anymore. That's why accusers give birth to liars. In the ancient Judeo-Christian tradition, they personified evil with this guy named Satan or the devil. And do you know what those words mean? The accuser. And one man said that Satan, the accuser, is the father of lies because accusing always breeds lies. Accusing is like character assault. Accusing is like, hey, you're a bad person. Accusing sounds like you're worthless. You are not as good. Accusing takes shots at your character, your personhood, verbally or non-verbally. It can be just a look of disgust. It can be disdain. It can be a sigh, rolled eyes, sarcasm, but it demands that the other person pay with soul currency. So what's it look like in your relationships? 
um, you know, so often we men uh, can be, you know, externalizer because we're stronger and we're more forceful and we think we can get away with it. And so we just like blame other people or pass the buck. We like to blame our wives for stuff. It's classic. And so like so often our wives internalize because they don't know what else to do. And we're all over the spectrum, you know, but usually an internalizer marries an externalizer because they see somebody with a lot of emotional connection in a tank and, oh, that's attractive because you're like, oh, look, it's a full battery. And then the, the externalizer might marry them because they see someone who needs them and it feels good to find a person who needs you. And it's like, oh, look, somebody else to make me feel really important. And you both walk into a relationship expecting to take from the other person and you are so setting yourself up. Uh, anybody who's been married for a few years know this. Like the newlywed phase, you can apply this to your business, by the way, or your school or whatever that you have just started. Like the newlywed phase wears off when the externalizer with a full battery finds that they're running dry and the internalizer like is is using up the capital of both of them and it's not really helping because of patterns that have been ingrained for a long time so like at first we'll say things like oh there were sparks there was electricity flowing in our fun young relationship but after five years those sparks just led to two dead batteries you know what i'm talking about so like when our batteries are empty we confabulate and you do this all the time you confabulate Every human being does it, and science will prove you demonstrably wrong if you argue with that. And if you argue, you're probably the one that confabulates the most. So like when a cop pulls you over, like you've already got an excuse in your head, don't you? I I have an excuse in my head when I pass a cop sometimes, <laughs> and I'm not even speeding or anything. I'm just like, oh, oh excuse, let me come up with one. And, and like whenever you're embarrassed or somebody catches you in the middle of something that you're doing that you're ashamed of, and they just like walk in at the wrong time, you're like, oh, um, I, I was just, or, or when you're like, oh, that email, yeah, it was it was in my spam folder. I just found it, <laughs> right? It when when it can be something more serious, like somebody forgets to pick up the kids, you know, or when dinner isn't made and there's two tired people that have to come up with excuses, or like when you've got that huge report that isn't done yet and you don't have a great excuse, but just like anything so that the boss doesn't think that I'm a horrible person, or, or whenever your wife catches you looking at that stuff, it can be overwhelmingly tempting to confabulate in such a way that you do it and then you immediately know it was wrong and you hate yourself for it just like you hate yourself for eating a brownie whenever you didn't mean to or want to or whatever. Now, unfortunately, we have a justice system and unfortunately, often righteous, self-righteous, religious people and organizations and even churches buy into a system that says, if we'll just hold liars accountable and hold cheaters accountable and make people that make mistakes pay for their mistakes by exposing their lies to the light and we'll charge them for it. Here's the problem. They were often deceptive in the first place because they couldn't pay, and now we're demanding more payment. Our accusations are breeding more deception and despair within them. So like in everyday relationships in our house, we can get into a cycle of accusing, which creates lies, and then that's going to create more accusations and that's going to create more lies. I call it the accusing, rebelling cycle. I'm talking about it next episode, right? So are you depressed yet, by the way? Is there any good news in all of this? Here's the good news. Some people rise to power because they don't have an accuser in the first place. What if your father or mother didn't direct any payment of the broken jar towards you and what if they happily paid for it or like you know if if mom and dad love you they're going to teach you how to pay for it with other forms of power like you got to pay for the loss with your money or maybe you'll pay for it by doing a chore or maybe you'll take away power from you that like by grounding you like a good parent's going to teach you how to pay for a loss out of the correct accounts but what if you had a parent that never asked you to pay for things that are worth less than you with you with your soul with your self-worth I have a friend who uh, has some family values, and one of his family values that he teaches his kids uh, is that people are worth more than things. It's very simple, but man, if our world could live by that. See, like, what if you had a mom and dad that could always fill up the tank and you had more than enough and you wouldn't be searching for a payment method when things get broken? 
So like the the ancient writers of scripture often called the creator of the universe like our heavenly father because there is at a human level no matter what our actual families and our actual backgrounds were growing up there is a greater reality that we can find ourselves in the midst of that we actually if we will embrace the love that is out there that is ambient in the air that is all around us if we'll find a way to tune in with that and embrace it or listen to it then maybe that we will hear something that's not accusatory and that doesn't demand payment for our soul and we can live a different way. Um, Above all else, guard that within you that is far more valuable than anything else. I've heard it said like this, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. I have a retirement account and I've never drawn money from it. Why? Because I'm going to need it. It's too important. So like I might say I'm broke, but that doesn't mean my retirement account's gone down. It, it just it just means that like, hey, the ones that I'm spending are actually empty right now. If I tell my kids that I'm broke, it doesn't mean that I've touched that because it is off limits and so should be your soul account, your self worth that connection that you have built up with other people that causes you to feel human should be protected at all costs and if you have spent and spent and spent out of it you don't have to live that way anymore because there's no one else out there who is more valuable than you who can demand that you pay out of that account and force you to you have the power to say to your accusers, what, huh? That, no, that's going to fall on deaf ears. I'm not going to listen to that. Like, I'll pay for a broken jar with, with cash money. I'll, I'll do the dishes if you're tired. I'll pay with some energy. I'll get the report done on time. And, and I'll pay for it with, like, some late nights. I should have been at the family Christmas party, and I'm so sorry. I'll be there next time. But you don't have to engage in the transaction of an accusation or a shot at your character and pay with your soul. No, you don't have the permission to tell me I'm a bad person. No, you don't have the permission to do that. I'm not going to embrace that. I'm not going to purchase that lie that you have out there. We can ignore it. One ancient writer said, guard your heart for it's a wellspring of life. It's like guarding your vibranium, right? Don't let anybody obtain your unobtainium because that's the wellspring of your life. And so it goes with us. I'm a big fan of teaching responsibility to our kids. and I'm a big fan of uh, allowing boundaries to be what they are and make, making uh, not paying for other people's things and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of holding other people responsible for their actions if they try to shirk payment to us, like whether that's our kids or our insurance company. But we've got to always remember that we should never demand payment from somebody's humanity. We should never go for their character. We should never accuse and assault their personhood. We should never try to pin them down and prove their guilt. And we shouldn't let them do that to you because you know what we're destroying in all of that? Truth. We, we are destroying humanity's opportunity for truth when we go for people's character. And we don't have to volley it back and forth and play the accusation game. You know what? You can actually do the opposite. I know you're a good person. And I'm really sorry you have a loss. And you can actually be sorry. You can let go of that toxicity when you let go of the accusing game and you can refuse to let humanity be currency in a game of power. So give it up and and give some grace today. And one bit of grace at a time will build a world with a lot more margin in the accounts that matter the most and people won't be so tempted to run from truth and people won't be so tempted to need to be right all the time and it can be okay if the tennis ball wins or if the baseball wins because the whole experiment has already been paid for what if we saw life and humanity as a gift because it is so that's how we start getting on track towards truth and I'm going to talk more about this and how it works in our own interactions in the next episode and we're going to talk motives but I want you to know um, do you want to know the answer to the gravity question <laughs> gravity doesn't come in 
in any measurable amount from either one of the ball, the tennis ball or the baseball. Gravity, actually, their mass and their value is actually so little compared to that of Earth, the source of which they came from. It contributes nothing to the actual truth of what happens. So like a tennis ball and baseball, you can compare them to each other all day long and you can they can accuse each other and confabulate all these stories, but they have nothing compared to Earth. Their intrinsic value is actually the same. The Earth is quite indiscriminate. It pulls at them at the same rate. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like there's a bigger force that drives life that is indiscriminate and doesn't repel any of us, but it draws all of us closer and values us all equally, regardless of what we look like or what we are made of. And I think that's something that I'd be drawn to. I think we're all drawn to truth. Truth is what we discover when we're not busy searching to pay for stuff. Truth is a search that all of us want to be on, but we have to pay for it. Truth happens in places of margin when we do pay for it, and we can reclaim that margin whenever we stop the accusing game and we start giving people confidence and grace. We discover it when we're not in defense mode, when we let people's tanks be filled with our emotional battery of connection. So this is where I'm going to leave off right here. Next, I'm going to pick up. We're going to do one on motives. Love you guys.